I um I sent a link to one of my postings on Quora in the food fasting and I think it's called nutrition space on my discovery that um, a certain class of chemicals, of antidepressant chemicals, um, med- medical chemicals, also is duplicated in one particular uh, extract and original source for that extract, the natural herb remedy for constipation is also an antidepressant. And that's the Senna group of plants, uh, which the Senosoids, Senosides, are extracted from, creating Xlax and Chocolax, which, the latter of which, I noticed in one of the animated movies uh, called Iron Giant. Um, the little kid gives Chocolax to the G-Man, who is sent out to investigate this big Iron Giant that the boy has befriended. And he wa- the kid wants the guy to be distracted with diarrhea. And interestingly enough, I wrote a short story a long time ago, 30 years ago, using that very technique. Um, I think prior to the making of this movie, in which one way to uh, foil the enemy army is to satellite beam them certain wavelengths that would cause them to immediately have uncontrollable diarrhea and dysentery and they'll be so distracted, dehydrated and close to death that they won't want to fight anymore or even pursue fighting or attack or whatever. Anyway, so I made this discovery and I sent Ashton Kutcher, Kutchner? I can never remember how to pronounce his last name. Um, You know, from uh, that 70s show. I sent him, because I'm on his list for, uh, he sends out periodic postings like blogs via text messaging and um, I sent him that link and he responded back with uh, a short little text message saying a friend once uh, told me that if I ever uh, have a choice to make among various alternatives I choose love Uh, or I chose I choose love I chose love and then he sent another text message immediately afterwards I choose love and I sent him a heart, a purple heart. <laughs> and it's interesting, it was a purple heart, now that I think of it, because today's uh, recording is based on my aha moment of uh, walking back to the car and realizing at least one way to interpret what he is saying from my point of view. See, because I immediately texted him back that it doesn't make any sense, if I choose love, it'll be my extinction, And I wasn't lying or anything, making up a story. It's just that's the way I saw things at the time. I was heavily stressed. And now I'm less so because I've learned how to prevent stress from arising. I've I've made various choices (laughs) to prevent stress um, most of the time. So my days are pretty cool. I don't make as much money as before, but I enjoy myself more. And I have <coughs> less prospect of killing myself by accident. <laughs> so that, and that's good. So what I learned just now, though, is there is a certain. It's okay, so. Let me preface first. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi made the statement in one of his video lectures, videotaped lectures. Love knows no reason. 
And okay, that's nice. It's poetic. It's very true. But what? Why? What's the other part of that that he didn't state? And what's the other part of what Ashton stated? Um, if ever given a choice, I will choose love. Well, there's something else implied there by everything other than the word no, love. And that is, if given a choice, I will always choose the same thing, love. What does that mean when if, if you're always given the choice to choose something else and you don't? What does that mean? It means loyalty. And that's what came to me walking up the hill to my car in that I am doing what Ashton stated he does. Because at the time when he said that, I didn't think it was true for me. I thought it was true for him. That's nice. Okay, that's you. But I still got to deal with my shit and I don't know what to do. I was already doing it. I was being persecuted for the choice of loyalty that I am continually making. And it, it comes in various parts. So let me describe the parts. Long time ago, Charlie Lutz was endeavoring to become enlightened the first time. And it was on the planet Maldek, which is now an asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. And I was the only person who believed in him. I was his partner or mate. I, I don't know uh, exactly what function, what role I played. All I know is the one that mattered is that I believed in him and I was the only one who did. And that made it possible for him to reach the goal of enlightenment. But as, while he was stabilizing that goal, he kicked me out of the nest. And I don't recall why. Is probably something impetuous, some emotional surge of something that he regretted afterwards, quite frankly, and he admitted so. Um, because when he reached the seventh plane of existence, which I guess is the plane of unity, out, after already dropping the body, he was a little sorry about what happened when I came back in my next incarnation. I came back as a crazy scientist and set up the planet Maldek in such a way that if it if the device that I set up with the help, I was in charge of the scientific arm and previous incarnation of JFK was in charge of the political arm and the two of us got our groups of guys together and made it happen. Some kind of device was set up on the planet which if it was maintained the way it was intended, originally intended and designed to be operated, everything would be fine and there would be an advantage of having that device. The only problem was the risk was planetary suicide if it should ever be mismanaged and that's what happened some number of generations after my death somebody came along and decided okay let's monkey with this <laughs> let's make improvements it didn't there was no need for making improvements it was a perfectly designed setup and they went and monkeyed with it and the planet broke apart and now we have an asteroid belt and a bunch of souls who are native to that planet who don't have a place to continue their evolution, so they were invited by the Earth to come to the Earth. Well, the Earth is an import because you have to have a certain num uh, quantity of load in the, in, in the um, form of planets in orbit around the Sun to counterpoise the Sun as a source. Otherwise, the Sun will blow up from producing too much energy. And then we won't have a solar system anymore. So the Earth was brought from the Pleiades along with the Cetaceans on board. And the Cetaceans are the only other humans on this planet other than ourselves. And we don't recognize them as humans. In fact, we 
oftentimes make the mistake of calling them fish. But they are mammals, warm-blooded, and they are humans. They just don't have hands to possess anything, so they have a totally different way of going about living their lives. And they are becoming extinct, unfortunately, along with everything else on this planet is slowly becoming extinct. <laughs> partly by our doing, partly not by our doing, but it, it, nonetheless, unfortunately, we are going to lose them before we even got to know them that well. I mean, you know, some people have gotten to know them. They've written books about having relationships, even sexual relationships with dolphins, but be that as it may, you can go look it up on Amazon, be that as it may, in which the dolphin initiated the, the romance, not the human, <laughs> uh, be that as it may, <clears throat> Maldek is now history, and the souls who were there were invited to come to the moon first, because the moon was a living satellite of the earth at the time, and we managed to blow off the atmosphere of the uh, of the uh, moon. It wasn't hard. I mean, Tesla had an idea how to light up the stratosphere continuously, 24-7, around the entire globe. But if that is mismanaged, well, then you get ionization of the upper atmosphere <clears throat> to such a degree that it starts to peel off. It's, the molecules re reach escape velocity, and it's a chain reaction. They impart their energy to neighboring molecules on their way out. <laughs> and, and so little by little, the atmosphere of the moon disappeared. And we had enough uh, time to build our spaceships and come to Earth. And we came during the third root race of Atlantis, which is the red race, the Native American race. Um, and we were known as the gray people because we were gray. <clears throat> and we moved uh, immediately to the forefront of civilization and have remained there ever since. So now we have two sets of gene pools or, or DNA pools or, or uh, oh God, what do you call it? Not that. Uh, no, it's not that. It's two sets of souls, old souls and young, young souls. The young souls are native to this planet for the most part, and the old souls are native to the former planet of Maldek for the most part, not in all cases. Um, and Earth is the only planet in our solar system which has a different aesthetic theme than the rest of the solar system. The entire solar system, except the Earth, has the aesthetic theme of the silver ratio, which is ex uh, exemplar, uh, um, is exampled by the dollar bill, the United States dollar bill. The length versus the height is the silver ratio. Meanwhile, the driver's license, not the real ID, but prior to that, the former <coughs> ID driver's license is the golden rectangle, while the dollar bill is the silver rectangle. Uh, the golden rectangle embodying the proportionality of the golden ratio. And during the Renaissance period, you'll find many an artist of one sort or another, architects, sculptors, painters, exemplifying interchangeably either one of these two aesthetic themes, these proportional ratios in their art or architecture or music. Uh, Bartok used the golden ratio in his music extensively. Never told anyone took it to his grave, but some follower of Bartok figured it out and wrote a book about it, analyzed his music, and lo and behold, it's there. <laughs> For anyone to see who has eyes to see, there it is. Um, the silver ratio has been used, I can't remember where, but we have it in our dollar bill, so there you go. Anyway, um, there. oh, I remember where. <laughs> in the Roman architecture during the first 
uh, two centuries A.D. after Christ, um, in the garden apartment complex uh, uh, floor plan of the city of Ostia, Italy. It's a coastal town, a tourist trap. Was then in ancient times in Rome, and it is now. And the floor plan is laid out in such a way that um, it's an octagonal floor plan, but it also has a square. The, f the four alternating, every other side of that octagon is the side of a square, if you extend it further, in which that octagon is nestled inside of. Or you could push the sides of that square in, inward t towards each opposing side, and it becomes two parallel di uh, diagonals, two sets of the octagon, and it then becomes noticeable as the hash sign that we use for playing tic-tac-toe. Tic-tac-toe. And it's also the hash sign on one of the buttons of our push-button phones. Uh, the hash sign being on the lower right and the, uh, the star or asterisk being on the lower left. Anyway, um, so let's see, where was I? Oh, so on the floor plans, and that's called the sacred cut because with only a straight edge and compass you can make that floor plan in those proportions. And they used it extensively during those first two centuries A.D. Now, during those first two centuries A.D., they were at the apex of their civilization because that's when the followers of Christ had left Judea and had sojourned, inhabited uh, Rome, raising the consciousness of the Roman population by their presence, by their practices, not just merely their beliefs, because they had more than just a religion. They had a religious practice. In other words... They were on a path of yoga. Um, Christ did teach meditation to his, a few of his disciples and some of his followers, but he didn't make a thing about it because it wasn't his deal. It wasn't why he was here. But he did, you know, being who he was, you know, he was capable, and that's what he did. It wasn't the same as meditations, practices that you see prevalent today, such as TM and other practices, the uh, Kriya Yoga, uh, that the SRF promotes, but it was his own technique and uh, various other techniques as well, and that's why uh, Peter, Simon, could do what he did um, because he had been taught various things and had the grace of his master to embellish the execution of those or uh, things with the grace of his master, the grace of Christ, so that they could become operational and not just empty rituals. Now, moving back to the topic here, where where did I get off? How did I get off on that tangent? Um, <clears throat> okay, the earth. Uh, so, the old souls have the memory of the silver ratio in their consciousness as past lives in their soul but here they are in this earth among the new souls who don't have the memory of the other way and that means the old souls can kind of slide back and forth and that's why you see the dollar bill exhibiting the properties of the silver ratio and the previous um, driver's license exhibiting the properties of the golden ratio. Now, I haven't had uh, the chance to measure the proportionality of the real ID to see if it's just a reorientation vertically of what used to exist horizontally, but I don't know. 
Um, so I don't know if it comports with the golden ratio or not. So I'm not going to assume anything. Um, let's see. So where am I in this line of the story? <clears throat> So I came back as a crazy scientist and the planet broke apart and all the survivors of that planet, or most of them, at least the ones who were not enlightened, uh, came to live on the moon and then moved into the earth. And here we are uh, making up the advanced uh, countries of the earth and the rest follow, try to follow in our wake. And some of them, all they can do is steal. <laughs> they steal our technology and uh, make out as gazillion copies of it. And uh, we don't get any of the credits, but whatever, you know, that's, they're, they're doing their best to, the only way they know how to learn from us to catch up as quickly as possible because they, they're envious. Well, now I get to se segue into the reason for this recording. The reason why I'm stigmatized with the label of schizophrenic type 2 paris, uh, periodic uh, paranoia is because of my uh, the jealousy my mother had towards my association with Charlie Lutz. She said to me, and I quote, you don't need him, you have me. <laughs> and I kind of thought to myself, you must be nuts. <laughs> you are a replacement for him? <laughs> well, that's, you know, brash egotism. What, what can I say? <laughs> and, well, I laugh, but it gets ugly. <laughs> I lost my son and nearly committed suicide over this. Um, be that as it may, so I've had to rewire my brain to become the scientist and forget about family building. <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> I'm too heavily persecuted for the jealousies that are in my family. And it doesn't stop with my mom. My brother's jealous too. And anybody who does not want to agree with Charlie Lutz is going to become jealous in all likelihood because a part of their consciousness recognizes who Charlie is what kind of person at least he is, at the very least, and will be jealous of my association with him. And it may not be phrased that way. You know, in the case of my brother and mother, they may phrase it as, oh, because I take after my father. Okay, fine. We'll use the father as the stooge. <laughs> but deeper than that is this other jealousy that's raging. So we we got two jealousies going on, one on the superficial level and one on the more subliminal level. But be that as it may, it's there. And it's for that jealousy that I've been persecuted for my love and loyalty to Charlie. Because he put me on a path of public service, not just devotion to him. You know, when, you, when you're a, an epitome of um, consciousness... That's only half of life as far as humans are concerned. The other half is, well, we live in this world and uh, what are we going to do about it, right? <laughs> so in the, e in the East, they have yoga. But in the West, if we don't have yoga, and some did, there are some known examples in which little pockets of yoga flourished, but they were little pockets. And if you don't know about them, you don't have access to them, what do you do to step up uh, the pace of your evolutionary development? You take up public service because then you take on the burden of other people's growth and evolution and that intensifies your karma for good, bad or indifferent results regardless you learn a whole lot faster because if you do anything wrong it's a big boo-boo instead of a little boo-boo and if you do anything right it's a big right instead of a little right 
And if it's a big neutrality, if it's a neutrality, it becomes a bigger neutrality. Regardless, it intensifies karma across the board and it accelerates progress. And if you're people who make mistakes, like um, Hitler, <laughs> he actually thought he he was doing the right thing. <laughs> it's hard for us to imagine that, but that is was his point of view. <laughs> he has a lot of karma to shit, shitty karma to deal with later on. But the fact of the matter is, he accelerated his evolutionary development by ha- by allowing himself to to be put in a position of power and influence over other people. So that's going to accelerate his progress in a sense, in one sense. It's going to slow it down in another because of the boo-boo he made. <laughs> but regardless, um, it's going to make it very excruciating, but regardless. Um, let's see, where else Where, am I? where else am I? Um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, mm. The other item of interest that Charlie Lewis got me started on, besides public service, is to tell the truth all the time, even if it means your extinction. Because by never telling a lie, you maintain connection to the source of truth, which is God, and you are supported by God, even though you may be persecuted by everyone else, or unsupported, let's say, (laughs) non-supported. And that support comes in three forms, sat, Chit, Ananda. Energy, intelligence, bliss. All three, all at once. And all you have to do is lie once. And you lose that connection, you lose that support, and Mother Nature will make you beg on your knees for getting reconnected for the most interminable duration until she's confident that you're not going to blow it again. Because why should she trust you? You know, you blew it once before. Why should she trust you any, any time further? So she makes you wait and, and persevere if, and to see if, how perseverant you are. How sincere are you to get back the connection? And I know this because it happened. One time when I went away from L.A., I was up in uh, the forest of Washington, the Cascades, uh, the, the, rain, the Cascade Rainforest of Washington State, and... Somebody on YouTube made a comment that was critical, and I knew it was off the cuff. I knew it, he didn't do his homework. I knew he was, he was talking nonsense, yet I took it seriously. And that resulted in my disconnection from the source, and I'm telling you, it was the most hideous shock I have, I've ever gone through. One minute you're connected, the next minute you're not, and uh, it's quite a letdown. Um, so uh, she made me beg and plead, uh, mercy and compassion for tw- uh, about half a day, 12 hours. But I'm telling you, there was a l- the longest 12 hours I can imagine, I can remember. Um, could have been, it might have been longer, you know. It, for each person, it's going to be different. It depends on the situation. I guess I had my legacy to help uh, reduce that sentence, <laughs> sentencing. But still, it was 12 hours and it was constant pleading on my part, humbling myself before her. Um, because I was so embarrassed and so ashamed of myself that would cause that to occur, that I was very supplicant about it and wanted a reconnection very badly. Um, otherwise, I'd be hideously lonely. This, this is why I can't be lonely, even though I'm alone. So long as I never tell a lie, I'll always have that connection to her. And that makes all the difference. So that's the other thing Charlie got me started on, or maybe that's what I was already started on and, and attracted him to me that he decided, oh, this looks like a pretty good bloke to become friendly with. I don't know. All I know is I have those two features to me, those two loyalties. 
and I'm persecuted for them. <clears throat> now, when I was about to have my son born, he was gestating in his mother's womb. Um, I decided to sleep with her <laughs> because I wasn't. You know, we slept separately. Yet she was pregnant with our son, and I decided, you know, early on in her pregnancy, I decided, you know, I think I'm going to start sleeping with her. And so I slept in her lice-infested bed, and I didn't like it, but I had a very interesting dream one night in which I was at a party, and Charlie was there at the party, and there were other people. And Charlie was crying, but not as much as I. I was really <laughs> gushing out the tears there, whooping and wailing, and I came over to him, or he came over to me, I can't remember which, and he said to me, you're not the only one suffering. And I knew immediately what he meant, because he, he was crying too. <laughs> and then I woke up. And, and so I could remember the dream and analyze it and go, wait a minute. <laughs> I was a little shocked. I'm not suffering, because there was no hint on the physical plane that our son would be taken. But I knew. I had had various intuitions many, many times, and that was one of them, but I had many others over and over again reminding me of what was going to happen. And I even knew that if, well, if I was in my brother's place, yeah, I would set things up this way for this to happen. And we knew afterwards the evidence was very plain for all, anyone, for us to see anyway, that it was my brother. Well, I, I, I in particular, because <laughs> I, I, I'm the, I'm the reason for... Uh, allowing my brother to have the power that he had over me to take our son away from us, to, to initiate the outsourcing of the confiscation of our son um, in his bid, his power play uh, war, double-fronted war to make a uh, rage war against me um, and in the form of kicking us out of my mother's home. Um, he also made war upon my now ex-girlfriend, who's still a friend, but we don't see each other, and um, the mother of my son. Um, anywho, so, let's see, where did I get off on this? Um, oh, the dream. What he meant was that he is being persecuted, or I am being persecuted in his name, on his behalf because of my loyalty, not just my love of him, but my loyalty to him. And unfortunately, we've had some events happen after that, which has complicated the relationship, causing me to doubt whether or not immortality is that great. You know, why bother? Well, as a human being, he made his mistakes, even as an avatar. As a human avatar, he made a mistake I guess, at least once, that I know about or remember, um, that could be the reason why I doubt. Well, just the fact that he kicked me out of the nest initially, that would be, you know, a source enough. But uh, something else happened later on <laughs> in uh, this string uh, of incarnations on earth that also caused me, could have caused me to add to the doubt that was there already. As if, uh, well, it wasn't good enough for it to f go to sleep over the uh, centuries, over the millennia. Now it's got to be revived and reawakened all over again a few hundred years uh, prior to today. So, unfortunately, 
um, that's been the case. And so it's easy for me to doubt. It's easy for me to be loyal to doubting the verisimilitude, you know, the value of immortality, the goal of yoga, because of my loyalty to Charlie. And so I'm in a pickle because all these saints uh, come my way and try to help out. And I keep throwing up a roadblock, a stone wall. I, I just, um, I, don't, I don't want immortality. It, it, and it's, I'm not convinced that it's something I would want. Now, that wasn't the case when I first started out this lifespan. I knew what I wanted, but I knew what I needed. I knew what I was destined for, but um, now I'm not so sure. And Vince has, Vince, uh, a friend uh, of, among some of us, has um, alluded to the fact that uh, doubt is very easy in um, meditators. When they get towards the end, it's very easy for them to doubt um, for whatever reason. doesn't matter. doesn't matter the reasons. Um, I think it's our weakness as mortals, basically, is the true reason. Um, because we're not immortal. We're not... And it could also be that our faith has already been tested and found wanting, or is now wanting. <laughs> it's, it's been shaken. It's been broken. Hearts have been broken. Faith has been lost. And it's, it's a problem. It's a problem. As the character Michael, how appropriately named, that John Travolta um, provoked or spoke in the movie Michael, when he was playing the Archangel Michael, um, he said, how do you heal a man's heart or give back to a man the heart that he lost? How do you do that? It's quite a problem. And um, it's only after John Travolta dies in his last incarnation as an angel, it's in his afterlife, so to speak, as an angel, that he's able to prompt... Um, um, I forget the actor's name, the character he played to get back together again with um, Mary Steenburgen, who, Bergen, who was Bergen, Bergen, who was playing uh, his love interest. They were both, yeah, he was unsure, even though she wasn't. <laughs> she had no problems with her, her faith, but uh, his was uh, on shaky ground. But at the end, they get together and they have coffee. <laughs> so we hope for the best for them. Um, so that's my dilemma. And now I understand, though, that loyalty goes hand in hand with love. And that's why Maharishi said, love knows no reason. What does it know? It knows loyalty. That's what it knows. He left out the other half. I guess he was for us to discover on our own, I suppose. Um, to make it to, to make it make sense. Otherwise, yeah, we know that's true, but why? <laughs> you know? I mean... <laughs> oh, sure, the head's not involved. No, the head is involved because the head keeps choosing love out of loyalty to it. It keeps making that choice. Knowing that if it keeps making that choice, the love is maintained. And as a side effect, it's strengthened. But it's also maintained. Otherwise, it's not. <laughs> it starts to fall on rocky ground. And then what do you got to live for, you know? So at least then you have something to live for, is loyalty. <clears throat> in, the, 
even if it means avoiding immortality, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> but it's so totally illogical. But love knows no reason. That's the insanity of love. See, it's really an act of insanity to be in love. <laughs> is to be loyal for a cause that's failing you and and it's not working anymore. So what the hell are you holding on to it for? You know, the past, you know? <sighs> Marcy has also said that becoming enlightened, becoming immortal, is the most selfish act a human could do. And I have to agree. I've seen plenty of evidence to that effect. Um, and unfortunately, being in public service is not. It's a selfless act of sacrifice. And, and Charlie has said that Maharishi never intended us to go the path of sacrifice, which is what the recluses do, the hermits. No, we're householders. You know, we're TM householders, and so we're not intended to go the path of sacrifice. Yet here I am, still doing it. Now let me give you an example of a sacrifice that most people don't probably would never notice. But I notice it <laughs> because it means something to me. Queen Elizabeth I of England gave up marriage to a guy to make him king, not merely because she wanted to micromanage, because she didn't. She gave away her authority to uh, many of her, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, helpers. And making her clueless to some of the shit that was going on behind her back, which ultimately left in her, uh, uh, resulted in her um, kind of suicide at the end because um, of the various jealousies going on in her court. Be that as it may, um, uh, involving her son, her firstborn illegitimate bastard son, who had no claim to princedom. Yet she treated him as a prince because she loved him so. Well, that's another loyalty. <laughs> that, that's an instance of loyalty right there. Be that as it may, um, she gave up having any legitimate heirs to the throne because she wanted to heal the nation of the insanity inculcated by, initiated by her father, King Henry VIII who was busy <laughs> hacking off the, the heads of his wives because none of them could produce a male heir. And Elizabeth ended up Queen of England, a female heir. So that put the country in a state of anxiety because kings and queens mean everything to British subjects. It, they dote on it. They, it's their lifeblood. I don't understand it. But I'm not English, not in this lifetime. <laughs> I was before, <laughs> but in this lifetime, I'm all American, and I don't understand that. I can understand worshiping celebrities, you know, stars. I, I, I drooled <laughs> behind Henry Fonda, practically. <laughs> I mean, my God, and he, I made him so embarrassed, he, he shot out of that hardware store as fast as he could. <laughs> on the other hand, Walter Matthau was tickled that I spotted him on the street one day and, 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 was start, and caught me staring at him, and he smiled back. <laughs> he loved being noticed. You know, everybody has their own reactions, be that as it may. Oh, all these sidebars. <clears throat> um... Now, where was I? Um, 
Yeah, where was I? Oh, so she gave up her 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 legacy to pass her throne to an heir to heal the nation because the nation was insane over or extremely anxious, let's put it that way, <laughs> over all of the deaths of their queens. You know what how does that make them feel when they want to identify with their monarchs? That's the whole point of having them is to have somebody to identify with to look up to. And that put the country in a very sorry state of affairs. And it was because of that sacrifice that the Battle of Armada turned out the way it did. Now, I can't remember. I may be wrong in stating that because I don't really know when the Battle of Armada occurred. Did it happen before the reign of Queen Elizabeth or at, or during? I'm assuming during, but I could be wrong. It could be before, and so I ignore everything I say about the Armada, except to f the fact that, according to Charlie, the crown of spiritual, the burden of sp the spiritual crown was shifted from Spain to England during the Battle of Armada. It was shifted from England to America during the Battle of the Revolutionary War, and eventually we're going to lose it to China or India, probably India. Um, but it could be China, <laughs> and China may unite with India and as a United States of, of Asia, and then they will carry the crown, the spiritual crown, and then all the uh, highly evolved souls will start inca incarnating there, if they haven't already, in order to um, take advantage of that spiritual burden. Because it is a burden, it tweaks the culture, it makes it irrational in some way because they're carrying a heavy burden and we have such low consciousness that it tweaks us so america decided to circumcise all of its young <laughs> some time ago during the korean war and now it's fading from view but that's quite a tweak um after the world war ii to to be so tweaked due to world war ii that you would go to that extreme to abuse baby uh, to abuse the soldiers who left boot camp and immediately arrived at, at Korea and were circumcised by the medics uh, and then came home and wanted the same for their baby boys and started a trend, that a, a fad, that lasted for a few decades and now is going on the wane, thank goodness. Um, I'm a victim of that fad and there's nothing... There is something I can do about it, but uh, it would take too much attention to detail and I got too many other things going on in my life to be able to attend to that alone to regenerate a foreskin using uh, Dr. Robert Otto Becker's uh, techniques. Uh, it would just take too much of my time to train myself and then pay an, uh, an aide to, to take care, help take care of me and take care of my business and then have an unlimited supply of wealth so I wouldn't have to work. <laughs> i just lay in bed for several weeks if not a few months while the force can uh, regrows. But be that as it may, I, I'm stuck with the, with the condition that I'm in and there's nothing much I can do about it that I haven't tried to do already that I can't take any further. Anywho, um, I know that's a tweak because um, Victorian England had that tweak in place and so did ancient Egypt, but not very ancient, more recent ancient, because e Egypt's been around a long time, <laughs> thousands upon thousands of years, uh, tens of thousands of years, 75,000 to be more precise, and um, 
So more in recent memory, it's, uh, it was customary for circumcision to occur. That's why it got transferred via Moses myth to the Jews because uh, the, the, the wealthy Egyptians were doing it. So why not <laughs> pass it to the Jews and act like they're wealthy? You know, they, they, uh, if Moses calls themselves a chosen people, then uh, yeah, yeah, the wealthy would tend to uh, think like that, very uh, nose up in the air. Anywho, um, Victorian England did it, but they did it for a specific reason, and so did the Egyptians. The Jews had their own reasons, <laughs> a little different, uh, consequential reasons, I should say. Uh, but not no awareness of the cause, because the cause has to do with inheritance. You don't want uh, the husband uh, looking around for another wife when his first wife becomes barren at midlife and start a second lineage and have a second eldest son to worry about making battle with the first eldest son over who gets daddy's possessions upon his death, so his property and whatnot. So they circumcised the men in Victorian England and in ancient, uh, not so ancient uh, Egypt to preclude the man from looking elsewhere because he'd become impotent by that time and he wouldn't bother to look. <laughs> he'd be imp he's so impotent he wouldn't bother. He wouldn't be capable of thinking about sex. <laughs> or maybe he would, but nothing would happen. <laughs> um, and so there wouldn't be any warring firstborn male heirs uh, vying for daddy's possessions. Um, boy, that was a tangent, wasn't it? Okay. Well, if it made me feel any better, <laughs> I get my mind off of... Yes, yeah, so that's the meaning of the dream. And um, that's the reason why I go through what I go through. Because the people who want to take advantage of me don't want to believe in Charlie one iota. Regardless of anything else they may profess... Deep down inside, that's what it boils down to. And, oh, you might think I'm at megalomania. So, you know, that was the other uh, sidebar that uh, the psychiatrist in question uh, wanted to brand me a schizophrenic. Oh, yeah, well, you've got a sidebar here of uh, megalomania going on here. Uh, you think you're so important, blah, blah, blah. And, um, well, you know, he thinks he's important because he's, uh, he's the advisor to NPR, NPI. Neuropsychiatric Institute in UCLA and various other branches of UCLA medical uh, establishment over prescriptions of various psychotropic medications. So he's very bigwig. And so is my brother who engaged him after my mother engaged him. So all these little snoots with their noses up in the air, it's fine and dandy. You've got your lettered uh, acronyms after your name. Good, goody, good tushes for you, for you three bunch. But um, triad or quad, quadrad, if, if, if some people have tried to take it further, yeah, whether or not they'll succeed. Um, but that triad did um, because I let them. And, you know, I, I gave deference to my mother because she gave me life. So those two other blokes rode on the coattails of her success and got some measure of mileage out of me. Um, but it looks like it stops with those three people. Uh, but that's a lot of mileage, and that's a lot of pain um, for being loyal to whom they are jealous of my loyalty. So for what it's worth, there it is, out in the open, only because 
I now understand. The other part of love that I didn't understand was loyalty. Um, otherwise, I never would have wanted to come out so openly. I probably have mentioned this in the past already. Um, either YouTube videos acting as my podcasts, you know, my pillow talks, or the, uh, maybe one of these podcasts. I don't know where or when, you know, it might have been blogged, but here it is in a way that I don't have to feel badly about anymore because now I understand what Ashton Kutcher or Kuchner. <laughs> I'll say Kutcher, <laughs> take a pick, um, was saying, you know, the entirety of what he was saying, or at least more so. I only got half of what he was saying, and the other half uh, I was oblivious to. I was blind to what he was saying. So now I understand. Thank you, Ashton, for sowing the seeds of understanding, even though I wasn't ready yet. It finally blossomed today. <laughs> And I'm happy for you and for me that it did <laughs> because it's, it clears up a whole lot of spooky confusion I couldn't make heads or tails of. At least now it makes sense. And I like things to make sense. <laughs> you know, love knows no reason, but I, I like to understand things. <laughs> Nonetheless, in this incarnation as a Gemini, I like to try to understand uh, the mechanics of something, you know. Why is that? Okay, let's, let's look into this. <laughs> and I may not get the answers right away, <laughs> but today I did. Whoopee! <laughs>